Good morning, everybody. Let's stand up. Excited to be with you here in this place. Welcome to your high, the high school room. And let's worship. Let's get our hands together. Oh 
Amen. Our God, our God, from foundation, our rock, the only solid ground, the nations rise and fall, the kingdoms once strong, now shaken, we trust forever in your name, the name of Jesus. We trust the name of Jesus You are the only King forever Almighty God, we lift you higher You are the only King forever Forevermore You are victorious You are the only King forever Almighty God, we lift you higher You are the only King forever Forevermore, you are victorious. Amen. Unmatched in all your wisdom, in love and justice, you will reign, and every knee will bow. Our expectations, our hope is anchored in your name, the name of Jesus. Oh, we trust the name of Jesus. You are the only King forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever. Forevermore, you are victorious, you are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher, you are the only king forever. Forevermore, you are victorious. We lift our banner high. We lift our banner high. We lift the name of Jesus. From age to age you reign. Your kingdom has no end. We lift our banner high. We lift the name of Jesus. From age to age you reign. Your kingdom has no end. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever. Forevermore, 
You are victorious, you are the only king forever Almighty God will lift you higher You are the only king forever You are more, you are victorious
Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would come, that you would come quickly. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for coming to our rescue. Lord, that you made a way for us so that we might have everlasting life to live with you eternally, God. We worship you. Falling on my knees in worship, giving all I am to seek your face Lord all I am is yours my whole life I place in your hands God of mercy humbled I bow down in your presence at your throne and I call and I call you answer and you came to my rescue and I want to be where you are
lifted high in our love. We lift it high. We lift you high. We lift you high. In my life, we lift it high in our worlds. We lift it high in our love. We lift it high. Sing in my life, in my life, we lift it high in our world. We lift it high in our love. We lift it high. We lift you high. We lift you high, God. In my life. We lift it high in our world. We lift it high in our love. We lift it high. Yes, God, we pray, Lord, that you would just rule and reign in our lives, God. That you would be lifted high and magnified above all else. We pray for today, God, that your word would speak to us. In the name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys can take a seat. Can you guys hear me all right? All right. Man, what a great time of worship in a packed out room uh, for Jesus. Now, some of you might be very confused because I don't look like Pastor Shadrach or any of the high school leaders. And junior high, you might be confused of why we're in here. So high school is up at camp. Uh, right now, they're coming home, but they won't be home till 4 o'clock, and so Pastor Shadrach and about 150 high schoolers are up there. They're on the way back down, so this morning, we are together, and uh, I'll be giving the message today, but just a couple things, and even just as we were worshiping, uh, and I just wanted to share with you guys, uh, there's something just very personal about being in this room uh, worshiping. Uh, and it's personal because 10 years ago, uh, I was going into, like, you know, a lot of you are going back to school. Yes? When are you guys going back to school? Okay, who, who's, who's already back? Raise your hand. Who never stopped going to school? You're just like all about education. All right, who, who goes back tomorrow? Who goes back next week? Who, goes, who doesn't go back till September? Wow, you guys are the, man, that's, that's awesome. Well, I remember 10 years ago, uh, right about this time, 
I was preparing to go back to school from my freshman to my sophomore year, and I went to a camp similar to the one going on, same location, and God hit me like a ton of bricks. And from that time coming back and, and spending the next year, my sophomore year, my junior year, uh, in this room, worshiping and falling in love with Jesus. And so uh, it's good, good to be back in this room with you uh, and excited for what God has for us today. But a couple things. If you don't know uh, the baptism, church baptism, we usually do two a year. Uh, anyone, was anyone baptized at the last one in June? All right, that's awesome. Uh, so there's another one. Maybe you missed that chance. There was uh, some awesome baptisms up at high school camp. Uh, but if you have never been baptized, and that's something that God would lead you to do, I want to encourage you to sign up for this all-church baptism August 28th. Okay, August 28th is the next all-church baptism. We do two a year. Uh, I can't remember when the, the baptism class is. It's usually the Tuesday before uh, where Pastor Dennis will hold a, a class for those that want to get baptized so that you know what that decision means. Uh, but if that's something that you want to do, Maybe you've been thinking about it. Maybe God's been putting, man, I, I want to get baptized. For me, uh, I've actually been baptized three times in my life. Now, Scripture only tells us we need to get baptized once. Uh, but for me, I was that sinful that I just needed, no, that's not why. So for me, I've grown up in this church, right? Like I shared with you a moment ago, I was in this high school ministry. I sat where all of you are sitting right now, and that's where I learned to really love Jesus. But uh, when I was five years old, uh, I remember uh, receiving Christ as my Savior and, and had, having this desire to get baptized because that's what they told me I should do. That's what God's Word had said. And so uh, even where we still go, do our church baptisms at Corona Del Mar, Pirate's Cove, uh, I remember getting baptized as a five-year-old, uh, and that was something I wanted to do. Now, then in junior high, I remember at a summer camp, uh, they were doing baptisms, and all my friends were getting baptized. So I'm like, that seems like a good thing to do. I'll just do it again. And so I went and got baptized. Uh, but the problem was that during that time in my life, I wasn't following the Lord. And so at a high school camp, after I had given my life to the Lord, I felt like he had told me, hey, you need to, you need to do this one more time. Not as a little child, not because your friends are doing it, but because you are making a public display of faith in me. And so if the Lord would lead you, maybe you got baptized. Maybe you were baptized when you're an infant. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic home, but now, now you've come to Christianity. Uh, baptism is something good that God has uh, told us and commanded us to do. And so if that's something that you're interested in or want to get more details, just go on the church website, okay? Talk to your parents about it. Get signed up. Uh, if you sign up, you know, let's say it gets that day and you didn't sign up, still go. Uh, but when you sign up beforehand, it basically, you're able to get a sweet shirt, okay? And uh, they, they make some good baptism shirts. So, make sense? All right, so before we get into the message today, uh, we're going to actually be, I'm going to be teaching what I've been teaching on Sundays with junior high. We're in the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, the awesome thing is, even though a lot of you weren't for the last couple studies we've been, God's word never returns void. And it's not by chance that you have made your way into this room. It's not by chance that high school happens to be up at camp, that I believe today God has something to speak to you, something to encourage you, something to convict you if you would have what the Bible says, ears to hear. So take a moment, okay? Uh, there's a lot of new faces in here. Junior high, you don't know a lot of high schoolers. High schoolers, you don't know a lot of the junior high. Uh, say hello to one another. Be friendly in the Lord, okay? Older brothers and sisters, younger brothers and sisters. If you need a Bible, uh, we have some located in the back. If you need notebook paper, we want to encourage you to grab some of that. We also have some of that on the back on both sides and pen as well. So take a moment, say hello, and prepare your hearts for God's word. Go, break. Break. <laughs> 
19 bright eyes, big dreams. I felt the blood rush to my heart. I knew that this could be the start of something like you see in movies. The making of our story. So I got down on my knee and I told you honestly. Baby, I don't know where we're going, but we're going together. Got a baby in the backseat We're moving to another country And we packed up every last thing Turned a chapter in this story Both of us scared to death You took my hand and said Baby, I don't know where we're going But we're going together All right. You guys can open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're, this morning, we're going to be in verses 13 through 18. And the title of the message today, if you are taking notes, is Keep, on, keep Calm and Carry On. Uh, the title of this series that uh, we've been going through in the junior high in 2 Timothy, the title of this series is Keep On. And, and the reason being is that what 2 Timothy is all about is to keep on going. This is Paul's final letter. And this is Paul's final, final letter of his life. His head is literally on the chopping block. He's awaiting his death sentence. He's on death row for preaching the gospel. And this is his last letter of encouragement. And rather than it a, being a letter filled with regret, rather than Paul saying, woe is me, I'm, I, look, I, I serve Jesus and look where it got me. Rather than that being his attitude, he wants to write to one Timothy who he poured into, who he talked to about spiritual things and about Jesus. And so keep calm and carry on. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that, that saying before. Does anyone know the origin of that saying? Right, right now, it's very, it's, it's popularized. It was really a few years ago, right? They were started making shirts and they started changing it, right? It wasn't just keep calm and carry on. They'd say keep calm and then, you know, something else, right? If you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? Anyone like never heard this before in their life? Okay, some, some of you guys. All right, that's all right. So keep calm and carry on. The year is 1939, World War II. Okay, this phrase originated as a slogan in the spring, actually before World War II. And anticipating the dark days ahead, uh, it was actually the British government who came up with this saying. And it was for the purpose to put on a poster and hang in areas that were being targeted by German bombers. Around 2.5 million copies were printed, but not one of them was actually posted. Because at the last minute, though they printed all these all these. Um, what we see here, uh, here, I forgot I have a slide for you. almost forgot. Let's see if my, my PowerPoint wants to work today. Hmm. Got a little fancy clicker, but sometimes it doesn't work. So it's, it, we, got, we got a poster for you. It'll, it'll be coming up. I know someone's going to get it. 
There we go. Perfect. So these were some of the posters. So you'll, you'll notice that keep calm and carry on was one of them. They also had other slogans at this time, okay? And what happened though, right before they began posting uh, the one that's all the way on the right, the keep calm and carry on, what had happened was that they actually began to doubt whether this was going to be encouraging to the British people. They, wasn't sure, they weren't sure if it was going to just be too patronizing and obvious. And so they couldn't settle in this obvious time. And so they actually got rid of all the posters except for a few of them. And the story goes that you fast forward six decades and in the year 2000, one of the remaining posters was discovered by a bookseller who bought a box of old books where the poster was hidden at an auction. And it was put up over the cash register uh, in the seller's bookshop in England. And pretty soon, customers were asking where they could buy a similar poster. And this is what started this keep calm craze. Now, you might say, well, why are we looking? Who, who cares? You see, what this poster was designed to do was in the face of adversity, though it never even got posted, and, and really not discovered until decades later, the point of this phrase, this keep calm and carry on, was this determination that for the British to keep fighting, that the war that they had in front of them against German, the Nazis, and Hitler himself was worth fighting. It wasn't something that they should give up on. You see, what this phrase, keep calm and carry on, is this idea of keep going. This idea, if it's not worth turning back, don't turn away, press forward. And so as we go into our message today, uh, and we come to verses 13 through 18, this is Paul's appeal. This is what Paul desires for Timothy, is that he would hold fast, that he would keep going. You see, uh, last week in the junior high room, we talked about, and if you look at verses 8 through 12, how Paul's previous encouragement was that to be unashamed, to live a life of boldness and confidence. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 13 through 18. But first, I want to give you the, the big idea, okay? The theme of the entire day, uh, which I think my clicker is working now. Let's see. Yep, we're good. All right, big idea. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, okay? Everything we talk about is going to come back to this single line, which is this. You and I as Christians, we will turn away from the purposes of God in our lives if we do not hold fast and guard what God has given to us. Now, by the end of the message, I hope that this makes sense and it's something that God would be able to apply to your heart. But first, uh, let's read God's word together. Hey, you guys have your Bibles open? Yes? First Timothy, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me and faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for, the, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Let's pray. 
God in heaven, we are here for you. Lord, we are here to, uh, for no other reason except to hear your word, your truth. And God, we just confess our need before you. Lord, that we, we see our lives and we see where we desire to be, uh, where you desire us to be. But we, Lord, just proclaim like Paul did, Lord, we have not yet attained. We've not arrived. And so God, would you build in us the ability to hold fast the ability to keep calm and just carry on. Lord, in the famous words of Dory, to keep on swimming. Lord, we need you. And Lord, there's so many things in our life that are, is trying to pull us away from you. Lord, whether it's distractions, whether it's people, Lord, we need that immovable spirit that you gave the Apostle Paul and that Timothy took on for himself. Lord, may you teach us this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. We all said... You guys all know the famous philosopher, Dory the Fish, right? Okay, keep on swimming. Now, the first point, what we're going to look at today, we're going to break this up, this passage, into three different parts, okay? And the first charge that we're looking at today, you can note it down, it is to hold fast the pattern, to hold fast the pattern. Here in verse 13, look with me again in your Bibles. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Hold fast the pattern. And what does this mean? Well, the word hold fast, it means this. Hold fast means to keep and maintain. It means to continue in. In other words, to not let go. Do you guys know about the NLT version of the Bible? Well, the NLT, sometimes a little bit easier to understand, says this, rather than hold fast, hold on. Um, it's not as popular as it was back in the day, but have you guys ever seen the show Survivor? Yeah. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the show Survivor. All right. So I remember, and look, I'm not old, okay? I'm, I'm, only, I'm only 25. I'm not that much. Remember, 10 years ago, I was sophomore. I told you this. So I'm not that old. However, I remember when Survivor came out. I remember the first season. And this was, you guys ever have with your family like a family show? Like you're like, hey, you're not allowed to watch this without us unless everyone's present. We eat dinner, then we do this. And don't watch the show, don't fast. Well, back in the day, okay, you didn't have Netflix. You had to wait until the next week, until the next episode came on. And I remember Survivor, we, we watched it as a family, but the, the whole idea, right, they put these people in the wilderness and they had to survive, they had to vote each other off, uh, they did different challenges. And I remember so many of these challenges uh, were based upon endurance. They were based upon who could hold on the longest. You guys know what I'm talking about? They had challenges like, you know, they, they put in the, in, the, in the water, they would put these like posts and basically, you know, they're only like that thick and, and you'd have to stand on it. And the last one to hold on standing, they would basically earn immunity to not be voted off of the island, right? Or they had these different challenges where they had to basically, you know, hold a pot above their head. And you're like, that doesn't sound that hard. Well, they, would, they, would, these, they weren't doing anything else, right? They were in the wild. And so they would basically take the contestants, who, the last person holding up this pot over their head, basically would, you know, uh, would win immunity. And they had these, these challenges to hold on, to hold fast. And the Bible here says that you and I as Christians, we are to continue we are to hold fast. This is Paul's charge to Timothy. But what does Paul tell Timothy to hold fast to, right? It's hard to hold fast to something, hold on to something that you don't know what you're holding on to. Well, 
Notice verse 13. He says, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. This idea of pattern is an example. It's a sketch, right? Do, do they still teach cursive in, in grade school? Like when you were, I think it was like third grade. Do they still teach cursive? Raise your hand. Did you le- Raise your hand if you know how to write in cursive. Raise your hand if you don't know how to write in cursive. All right, that's, that's fine. There's a few of you. All right, listen, I remember, right, or even when you're just trying to write in general, right, they would have that, that, that line where it had the few different lines, and then above it, they had like, okay, hey, this is how you draw an A and a B, and you guys know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? And there was a pattern for you to look after, and you'd look up, and you'd look up, and then like on a test, they, they wouldn't have that pattern there, and so you had to memorize what the pattern was to get it right. Well, in the same idea, what, what, Paul is saying here to Timothy, Timothy, you have a pattern of sound words. This idea of sound words is the idea of of something correct and accurate, healthy. You see, what Paul left behind, though he's in prison now as he's writing this, though he's on the chopping block, though he's on death row, that time that he had spent with Timothy, he left a pattern behind of sound words. You see, it wasn't that Timothy was to talk like Paul. It wasn't that Timothy was to dress like Paul or, or begin to, you know, pattern him exactly. That, that's not the idea. You know, uh, for high school, it's not that you have to begin talking like Pastor Shadrach, right? I'm just not as funny as Pastor Shad, though he was my high school pastor. But I, I just can't be, I can't pattern him exactly. But for me, when I was in high school, Pastor Shadrach left a pattern of sound words, meaning he taught me about Jesus. He taught me about what the Bible has to say and about who God is. And then he exampled what it looks like to love other people. And so for me, I have this pattern that even to this day, though I'm not in high school anymore, that I look back to and I begin to try to follow. Now for Shadrach, he got that pattern from somewhere else. And that person that he got that pattern to, and it all, when you, when you begin to look back of who, who started this pattern, it ultimately ends in Jesus Christ. Now, what kind of sound words would Paul have shared with Timothy? Remember, Paul was Timothy's uh, spiritual mentor, that Paul got Timothy under his wing and began to tell him about Jesus, began to describe to him what he was like. And this is something, though, that you need to note down, that Paul both taught and displayed. Though it says sound words, it's not just about sound words. It was sound words because it was something that Paul lived out. There's a saying out there that says, uh, in, in teaching that more is caught than taught. And sometimes that's true. And you need both. You need good teaching and Paul taught Timothy and you need also a display, right? No one wants to listen to someone who's hypocritical, who says one thing, but does another. First Corinthians 11 verse one, Paul would say this to the Corinthians, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. There is to be this imitation, not just of what Paul said, but Paul, how Paul lived like Jesus. And Timothy is told here to hold fast to that example that Paul set. And in your life, there are men and women that have set this pattern of sound words. They've told you about Jesus. They've lived it out. 
And the Bible encourages us is to hold fast to that pattern. Now, it's not that someone is so great that we should, you know, begin to dress like them and talk like them and things like that. But it's what the example of Jesus Christ, that's where it ultimately comes after. Maybe for you, it's a parent walking with Jesus. Maybe it's a spiritual mentor or pastor or leader. Ultimately, those people are just plagiarizing what Jesus said and what Jesus did. He is that ultimate example of the pattern, right, that we should hold fast to. This is why it's so important to know the Gospels. This is why it's so important for us to be familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Imagine learning cursive without knowing how cursive should look. Imagine it was like, yeah, just, just learn it. Good luck. No, no, you need a pattern. You need a, a place to start to look after. And ultimately, Jesus is that example. But praise God that even today, 2,000 years removed of Jesus in the flesh, that God has given us patterns, people in our life to teach us about Jesus, whether it's myself, whether it's Pastor Shadrach, whether it's Pastor Jack or a family member, maybe it's an aunt or uncle who brings you here to church. We are to take what they display, what they tell us about Jesus, and we are to hold fast to it, the Bible says. You can note down 2 Timothy 3.14 as well. The Bible here says, and this is right, just uh, three chapters removed from what we're in right now. Paul reiterates and repeats this very idea. He says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. Do you see the idea of continuing? You and I are to continue on, right? To keep calm and carry on. When talking about the requirements for a, a leader in the church, Titus says this, and we find again that word holding fast. He says, holding fast the faithful word which he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. We are to hold fast to the scriptures and the things that we've been taught in Christ. But notice, Paul doesn't just tell him what to do here, hold fast the pound, okay, got that. But notice, look back in your Bibles and look at verse 13. He also gives him the how of how to hold fast to Paul's pattern. Notice he says, in faith and love, in faith and love, and love. This is the great balance. You and I are to hold on to the scriptures that we've been taught. We're to hold on to the godly patterns that have been set for us. And it's the idea, right? Hold fast is the idea of a tight grip, something that we aren't to let go of. It's this idea of strength. But the problem is that sometimes Christians, they can take that idea of holding fast to God's word that they lose the balance of truth, sorry, of, of love, right? They have the truth concept down, right? And they, they believe God's word. This is what God's word says. This is what we need to do. This is what you need to do. But the Bible always gives this balance, right? Jesus in the gospels is described to you and me as full of grace and truth. There is this balance. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that you and I are to speak the truth in love, so in our holding fast, in our wanting to keep the patterns that God has set up for us in his word and the godly examples we have, we're to do that 
always in a spirit of faith, trusting and believing what God has said, but the balance of love. Notice 1 Timothy 1.14, right? We're in 2 Timothy, but 2 Timothy means that there was also a first letter. And in the very first chapter of the first letter that Paul writes to Timothy, notice we see this exact same kind of words. He says, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, because he is that ultimate example. Think about Jesus. Think about what you know about him and what you remember from the gospels. You know, I, I, I've never seen or met Jesus face to face yet. One day I will, and I look forward to that day. But I think we can get a pretty good idea of what Jesus is like, right? We see that in John 1, full of grace and truth. But don't you see that displayed? That when Jesus talked with people, wasn't there this strength and this confidence? There was this holding fast. Nothing was going to move Jesus from his determination, But then at the same time, in his steadfast determination of holding fast to what he knew that God the Father had sent him to do, did he not have that balance of when walking down the road and someone would cry out, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me, that he would go and he would spend time with them and he would touch them and he would heal them. You and I are to hold fast to that very pattern of faith and love of truth and love of grace and truth. Does that make sense? Yes? Yes. You guys tracking today? You with me? Look, you and I need to be encouraged to hold fast because our natural tendency will be to let go. Did you guys hear me? What your natural tendency will to be is to stray from that pattern, is to begin to make your own pattern. And that's why the Bible says hold fast. What we find in the Bible in these commandments, we don't see commandments for something that we don't have a tendency to do. We need to hold fast because there will be a pull from our own sin nature and the world in which we live in. Because listen, the world we live in is under, under the pull and the sway of the evil one. And you and I must determine beforehand that we're not gonna let go. And the awesome thing is that in our determination of I'm going to hold fast, God sees that desire to please him and he reinforces that, right? He reinforces, God strengthens us when we have that type of determination. I'm going to hold fast, that our prayers begin to come. God, I have this tendency to to let go or I once was taught this in in the junior high ministry and elementary school and I saw the pattern, but but I'm now wanting to go this other way. The Bible says, hold fast. Hebrews, we we find this same kind of concept, these same two words, hold fast. This is not the only place in the Bible we see it. And in Hebrews 4.14 and Hebrews 10.23, you'll notice that it says there, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What's the idea of, of holding fast to our confession? It means that there might be a moment in your life that you confess Jesus as Lord, right? That you say, I'm gonna follow Jesus and there's this outward confession But the Bible says that we need to continue on in that to hold fast to our confession. All right? So you got that? Hold fast the pattern. Yes? Yes. All right. Secondly, what 
we see as an encouragement, he says, guard the good. Guard the good. And what does he mean by that? Well, let's look back at verse 14. You guys still have your Bibles open? Okay. Look at verse 14. He says, that good thing which was committed to you, Paul says, keep or guard by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Now, just how it's phrased in the New King James Version, which is what I'm reading out of, can be kind of confusing. So I want to give it to you in three other versions. Okay, the NLT, we talked about that earlier. Phillips, the J.B. Phillips is just of the New Testament, and it's more of a paraphrase, but accurate and helpful. And then, of course, the NASB version. And notice the same verse in the NLT, it says, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Or in the Phillips paraphrase, I like this one. He says, take the greatest care of the good things which were entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. NASB, protect through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And I like that last one this treasure, this good thing, right? New King James Version says this good thing. NASB says this treasure. That you and I, if you are a Christian, then there is something that has been given to you. And, it, and the, the word, the idea is that it has been entrusted to you. It's been committed to you. Something good, something precious, something desirable. And Paul considers it treasure. You can note down 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. Paul says this. He says, but we have this treasure, okay, connected words, in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Okay, that's a, that's a mouthful, but check this out. Paul says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So an earthen vessel is the idea of a clay pot. Okay, so does that mean that you and I, when you become a Christian, God hands you this clay pot, there's a treasure in there, and you just got to take care of that? No, the idea is that the Bible says that you and I were made out of dust, dirt. Does anyone know how you make a clay pot? Okay, what, what is the foundational element of clay? It's dirt, okay? It's dirt. And you and I were made, fashioned, formed out of dirt, and what God says, he says, I formed you, and then I, I put my treasure inside of you. And you and I now, we have this treasure, the Bible says, in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, you see what we do as Christians, we're just dust. God does the power. It is God who fills us up with his treasure. Like, what, what are we talking about? Well, I think it's a, I think it's a wide range of things. This, this good thing, notice verse 14, this good thing which has been given to us, we are to guard the good. The idea is that God has given us his gospel. God has given us himself, right? Even that we are to keep this by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. 
We have this treasure in us, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that it has been committed into your trust. It is the idea of this, okay? It's the idea of taking something precious and then handing it to someone else, trusting that they're going to take care of it. Okay, kind of like maybe mom and dad would, would hand you the keys for the house for a weekend, right? And, and they would, at that time, they'd say, we're going away because we want to get away and we're kind of tired of looking at you, okay? And we're going away. We're going to entrust you our entire house, okay? Don't have parties. Don't be stupid. Here are the keys. Don't burn it down. Don't do anything dumb, okay? Don't make us call the, don't have the police call, right? All those things, right? And they hand you, they hand you, I don't have my keys on me. They hand you their, the keys of the house and there's this entrusted deposit. That's this idea where Paul says, what has been committed, this good thing that has been committed to you. And it's actually the same word that we see back in verse 12. Okay, we didn't read it today because that was last week's study. But look at verse 12. Paul ends verse 12 saying this. He says, for I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep, that's that same word, guard, what I have committed to him until that day. So check this out. Okay, Paul says, I trust, I have this confidence that what I give to God, God's able to keep. Right? If I give God my life, God's going to make sure that that, that, is, that is kept in heaven. Right? Jesus talks about that when we lay up our, our uh, treasures in heaven, when we live for him, that there are rewards that are in heaven that, that God's taking care of. Right? And, and we can trust God. But then right now in verse 14, Paul kind of goes here and he says, and God then, as we entrust our lives to God, we say, God, I'm giving you my life. This is precious, this is all I got, but I'm giving it to you. That God turns around and says, well, I got something to give you too. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God. Now this word keep, I want you to note it down, okay? It means to guard and to watch over. Um, you know, kind of like what we just mentioned, to watch over the house. Now, if you're a good son and daughter, you're gonna watch over the house, you're gonna guard it. Right, if, if someone comes in or someone comes to the door and knocks on the door and they say, hey, uh, we want to rob you. Yeah, we wanna do that. Uh, you're not gonna let them in and rob you, okay? Uh, you are gonna guard. If you're, if, you're, if you're friends that are kinda, kinda dumb, okay, they come over and they're, hey, we heard your parents are you know, out of town, let's, let's party. You're gonna say, take a hike, okay? Why? Because you are guarding, you're keeping. It's not this passive thing, okay? It's not that just... You know, you're just inside your house, locking the doors, right? Closing the windows, just make sure, just don't burn the house down. Just don't burn the house down, okay? It's not this like passive thing that you're just hiding in your room, but it's this active thing that you're taking care of it, right? You're watering the plants. You're making sure the cat doesn't die, okay? And, and there's this key, there's this guarding. It's not just about protection, but it's even about advancing, okay? You're gonna, you know, maybe if you're a good son or daughter, you're gonna clean up the house more than it was when your parents left, okay? You're gonna try to get on their good side. But listen, uh, or, or for another example is, you know, I don't know if you, if you know, but we have 24-hour security here at the church. Pastor Jack is a very hated man, if you did not know. Uh, he's very beloved by those who follow the Lord but very hated, and especially what he's been preaching in the main sanctuary. And Pastor Jack, in this church, we get threats. 
And he gets death threats even. So what do we do? Listen, we have, we have security here. God's told us, yes, oh, oh, don't you trust in the Lord? Yeah, we trust in the Lord, and that's why we have security here, okay? And listen, they are guarding. And if you, you know, you've seen them. You guys have seen some like the, dude, there's some really big dudes, right? And they're extreme secure. They're, they, are, they are paid to be here to protect the campus against threats, okay? Now, they would not be doing their job if they're just hanging out by the fountain the whole time. No, you'll see them driving around, right? They're looking at you. And sometimes you're like, oh, why, why are you looking at me? I'm, I'm okay. I'm, wait, am I okay? Wait. And, and right, but they're guarding. There's this idea of keeping. It's not passive. It is active. I want you to write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says this. Paul says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards, notice that word steward, it's manager or caretaker of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You see, through Paul, God used Paul to give Timothy his word, to take care of, to handle, to move forward with and advance. You know, it's, it's, kind, of the, it's kind of the picture of this, that, that God says, I have, I have chosen you and you have chosen me. You've, you've received me and I, now you are my ambassador, right? And, and God says, you are an earthen vessel. You're just a clay pot, but I'm gonna give you my most precious word. And, and I'm gonna give it to you. And it's kind of the picture. I don't know how many of you can see. It's kind of the picture that God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust, this, this is big, okay? This is, my, this is my gospel and I'm gonna give it to you, all right? It's this picture that God says, I'm entrusting this into you. And isn't this what Jesus did with the disciples? Right, Jesus spent three years telling them about the kingdom of God, the gospel of Christ, and even then followed up with him right before he ascended into heaven. But think about it. God's plan depended on really 11 guys. And he, entrusted, and he left. He had disciples, but really not that many. Jesus was not an evangelist when he was here. He was a discipler. And he entrusted that word. And because those men and women, that they took care of God's word, and this was something serious, and then they found other men and women, and they said, this is God's word. This is the thing, this is the only answer to life. This is what changes men and women's life. This is the only key into heaven. And, and here you go, I'm gonna trust it to you. But it's required, the Bible says, that we must be faithful to do so. You see, we aren't just to take God's word and to hide it, but we are to advance it. Isn't that the parable of what Jesus talked about, the parable of the talents? You know, one guy got the one talent and he just hit it. He knew that the, the master was someone of, of responsibility and that servant was punished and rebuked. See, God has given us something. We have this treasure and the Bible says that we are to guard it, to keep this good thing that has been committed to us. I wanna share with you a story of Elijah. Uh, anyone know the story of Elijah and Elisha? It's kind of confusing, 
right? But in 1 Corinthians 19, there is this great uh, beginning of this transition. So Elijah's that great prophet, right, that called down fire from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, killed all those prophets, and then ran away from Jezebel, right? You guys know about Elijah in the Bible? Great man of faith, uh, though he had his, his times. Well, there was a time, if you, if you don't know, Elijah was eventually, the Bible says, caught up to heaven, that a chariot of fire came down and swooped him up and he went up to heaven. Okay, crazy, crazy story. You can read it. You should read the Bible if you don't. Okay, First, first Kings. But in First Kings 19, there's this moment of transition. Now, it's always confusing because Elisha always sounds very similar to Elijah, okay, but they are two different people. And now I want, I want to read this to you, and then I'll explain why it's relevant for us today. 1 Kings 19. Can you guys read that? I know it's a little small. If you can't, then you can turn your Bibles there. But it says this, so he departed from there, Elijah, and found Elisha, the son of, uh, I'm not, I don't even know how to pronounce that, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by him. And the Bible says that he threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Now, interesting passages of scripture, but this is the picture, okay? Elijah is the main prophet of God, but he knows his time is winding down and he takes his mantle. This is what represented, it was basically, we, we don't know exactly, some kind of robe or sash. And it, what, it is what made him distinguish as a prophet. Okay? And the Bible says that he took that, throws it upon this guy named Elisha, who's this oxen farmer guy. Okay? And, and the Bible says that right, Elisha knows what this means. He says, oh, wait, oh my gosh, this, this might, wait, so soon? Wait, I'm taking over your, and, and he, he doesn't have time to process. And the Bible says that he goes and he says, wait, let me, let me first go say goodbye to my mother and father and then, and then I'll follow you. And Elijah basically says, what have I done to you for you to do that? Now that's, I'm not, that might sound very harsh to you. You're like, wait, you just want to say bye to mom and dad and Elijah the prophet gets all mad. Okay, there's more uh, context in that. He more wanted to stay Okay, with mom and dad for a while. It wasn't just like a quick hello and goodbye. But nonetheless, what Elisha does then, the Bible says that he takes the yoke of oxen, his job, what he did. The Bible says that he kills them for food. The Bible says that he takes the oxen's equipment, what they were used to be able to plow and, and do field work, breaks them down, makes the fire in which he cooks the oxen over, and begins to feed his family and the people that were there. And then the Bible says he followed Elijah. Now you might say, Joel, why are, we, why are we talking about this? You see, what the picture is, is that when he got that call to follow Elijah, to fulfill the purpose and the call on his life, right? There was that hesitation at first, but then he decided that he was never gonna go back destroyed what his life once was and walked in the ways of the Lord. You see, he did this though 
by what I believe was the power of God in his life. Now, I want you to notice at the end of verse 14, okay? He says, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And this is the key, that the only way that you're gonna be able to keep or to guard or to fulfill what God has given you, which is his word, is only gonna be by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You see, this is how the church has continued for just under 2,000 years. It was handed down by Jesus himself and entrusted to others, and they held fast to the pattern that they were, that they were taught. They, were, they guarded and kept God's word that was committed to them, and now here we are almost 2,000 years later. The question for us in our generation is will we hold fast to the pattern? This 2,000 year old pattern, will we guard the good that has been given to us? Do you guys know who Ronald Reagan is, right? Former president, legit. Okay, but he said this, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. It has been fought for and defended by each generation. Now, he was talking about the freedom, right? That America experienced and has experienced. But I believe this is applicable to the church. I believe it's applicable to you and me. The only reason that it's gotten handed down, though it's had its high highs and low lows, is that there has been faithful people to go before us to advance. And you see, even I think it's true for a church. A church could get started like this one did 30 years ago. And that generation could be on fire for Jesus, but eventually they're going to die. You are the next generation of this church. And you will either hold fast to the pattern that has been set before you, or you'll turn away. You'll either guard that good what has been taught to you. You've been taught God's word here. And that's what you will continue to be taught. But will you hold fast or will you let go? Will you guard and keep or just open the door for whatever might want to come into your life? You see, Paul knew Timothy's loyalty to carry on this task, but then gives Timothy, though he moves on now, and in verses 15 through 18, he gives a real life example of someone who carries out that faithful calling and those who were disloyal to that call and turned away. And so uh, this is where we kind of begin to start our descent, as it were, which is our last point together in our text, which is to live it out. Hold fast, guard the good, and live it out. And we see these, these real life to Paul at the moment, examples of both good and bad. You guys still have your, your, your scriptures open? Yes, you guys still following? Anyone super lost? Okay, look at verse 15. We're gonna read down to verse 18. And notice he says, this you know, meaning what he's about to say is something that Timothy was not unaware of. This is something that he knew, but he's using it as an example. He says, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among who are Phygelus and Hermogenes. So those are the two guys that turned away. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, that's a crazy name, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. 
the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me. Now imagine having even, even just one of those guys' names, right? There are three men that are mentioned. And this is where Paul shares a personal example of those who he experienced held fast to that pattern and those that didn't. So three guys, okay, Phi, Phygelus, Hermogenes, and Onesiphorus. Man, I need to find some nicknames for those guys, okay? So he first references, notice in verse 15, look in your Bibles, he first references these two guys, okay? These two guys, and he says that they turned away from him. We don't know much more details other than in, in Paul's persecution, right? Remember the context, Paul is in Rome, Paul is in prison, not just on house arrest, not just like prison like we have in America, okay? He is on death row in a Roman prison. Nero is emperor, wants every Christian dead. Paul is looked at as the ringleader and anyone who's associated with him has that risk of also being persecuted. And we know that these two guys, for whatever reason, maybe it was for fear of persecution and association, the, the text isn't clear, but this is what we know that these two guys, they didn't hold fast. They didn't guard that good thing that was given to them. That when the going got hard, they let go. You guys hearing me? When the going got hard, they let go. And the Bible talks about some of these people. Jesus talks about those who would hear God's word and for a time would receive it with joy and it would, it would sound good and, and they'd be all in but there would be something that would happen, that the cares of the world, that some kind of persecution, something would choke that good seed out. And this happens to people every day who are in the church. Okay, then he talks about, though, this guy named Onesiphorus. And he has a lot more to say about them in verses 16 through 18. Do you guys see that? Yes? So he has a lot to say. He says that this guy often refreshed him. This was someone who, notice, was unashamed that he would come to Paul. You see, the prisons, how the prisons worked back then, if you didn't have someone to come and take care of you, you were on your own. You would actually starve to death in prison awaiting your death sentence. That they wouldn't feed you. They wouldn't take care of you. They wouldn't give you new clothes. Nothing like that. Okay, a lot different than prisons today. And unless you had someone to come and take care of you, well, Onesiphorus was this guy for Paul, that he actually didn't know where Paul was, but the Bible tells us, Paul says that he sought me out very zealously. He found me. And so Paul just pronounces this blessing. May God have, have grace and mercy right upon his house. And here we see the contrast. And both though, all three of these guys, they were disciples of Paul. They heard God, uh, heard Paul's words, they saw Paul's pattern, and like Timothy had, but only one held fast and guarded what was given. You see, the difference is this. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, when push comes to shove, when the rubber meets the road, will you follow Jesus? Right now, you might say yes. Right now, you're all about it. But have you determined that no matter what comes, that you're going to hold fast, that you're going to guard? Are you putting those things into practice today? 
not just hearing God's word, but doing God's word. We get this great insight in 1 John. You know, a lot of people have questions about those who leave the church. Right? There's a lot of people that, that leave the church, and not just like, oh, they left the church to go to a different church in the area, but there's some people, and you might know them. Do you know anyone that walked with God for a while, appeared to be on fire from the, for the Lord, and now they're like way out of left field? Right? They are so far from walking with God that you, you're like, what happened? Have you ever had those questions? Have you ever that question of like, wait, so when they were here, were they actually saved and did they lose their salvation? Wait, but they seemed, if there was anyone that loved Jesus, it was them, but now they're not, they're not around. They're not of us anymore. That they're walking in the ways of the Lord that they let go and they didn't guard what was given to them. What, what's the deal? Well, 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest clear that none of them were of us. Now it's kind of like, wait, it's like almost like a riddle, right? None of them, they were of us, not among us. Check it out. Look at it slowly. Okay, whenever God's word seems confusing, just the Bible says that we're to meditate on God's word. And if we meditate, it can become more clear because of the Holy Spirit in us. So they meaning people that left turned away like these two clowns, okay? They went out from us, but they were not of us. Meaning that they were here, they were with us, but they were not one of us. Well, how do you tell? How do you know who's who? Time. Time is a determining factor. Notice in this verse, it says, but they went out that they might be made manifest. It, it was clear that time is what will separate the sheep from the goats. What will separate those, those sheep and those wolves. Those who are just at church, kind of around, and those who are in love and will follow Jesus for the rest of their life. Which example will you end up being? Will you be a Phygelus or Hermogenes? Or are you gonna be an, an Onesiphorus? Will years from now, will you be an adult maybe married kids? And will you remember the days of going to church and following Jesus? Will they be any, maybe just fond memories, but now you've turned away? Or will you continue on in the things that God has given you? You know, I just think about from even being in this high school room and sitting in, in these very chairs, that remember seeing other, other students that seemed to really love Jesus, right? Even, man, their, their hands were the highest in the room when worship was happening. They had the, the Christian t-shirts and the, and they just always wanted to do Bible studies. And, in, and nothing breaks my heart more than seeing, you know, social media, than seeing them and they're not walking with the Lord anymore. Okay, because you walk with the Lord now, does not guarantee you're going to be walking with the Lord next year. It is something that you must continue in. It is something that you must determine beforehand to hold fast to. And it's not that your determination is going to be what gets you through, but it's as you determine and as your prayer becomes, God, would you keep me from wandering? And you are not just hanging back, 
but that you are advancing, that you're guarding and keeping that good thing that has been entrusted to you, that God sees that decision and sees that desire to advance and he honors that and strengthens you. He fortifies that desire that he has put in you and it is an awesome thing. We see a great example of this in the book of Daniel. You guys ever read the book of Daniel? Man, him and you right, you know maybe Daniel in the lion's den, and you see these, these men in this crazy culture, right? They were removed from what they grew up learning and knowing, taken into this pagan, God, uh, right? Uh, God-hating Bible, whatever, culture. And yet they were able to stand. They were able to hold fast in the hardest of things. And if you've ever read the book of Daniel, the key is actually found in Chapter 1, verse 8. You might want to look at it later. Daniel 1, verse 8. It says in that scripture that Daniel and his friends purposed in their heart, determined in their heart before the challenges came that they would not defile themselves, that they would not turn to the right hand nor to the left. Look, I don't believe in just positive thinking and just hard work will get you, what you where you need to be. But when that's coupled up, when you have that determination, that predetermination, God, I want to follow you. God, no matter what culture brings to me, no matter where I might be, God, would you keep me? That God hears those prayers and strengthens that inner person that you have in you. And that when that time comes, because you already determined, no matter where it gets me. No matter the consequences, no matter what happens, I'm following Jesus and I'm never looking back. I have my hands to the plow, like Jesus said, I'm not looking back. I want to share with you two verses and we'll close. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It is one that I have to remind myself often. It says this, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why does Paul have to say, be steadfast and immovable? Because there is gonna be a tendency to be moved, to not be steadfast, to let go. My encouragement, my final encouragement for you this morning don't let God's grace toward you be in vain. Like, what, what does that mean? When something's in vain, it means it was empty. It means that, that, that nothing came of it. And the Bible says in the same chapter, Paul earlier in chapter 15, verse 10 says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Meaning God came to this earth and he died a death that you should have died in your place. But there are so many people, by not receiving that, by not following into that, that they actually receive God's grace in vain. Meaning they, they don't take that gift. They, they take God's gift and they push it to the side. But Paul said, I did not, his grace toward me was not for nothing. But he says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Now, any person that doesn't follow the Lord would not understand this verse because Paul says it, it, it seems an, it's an apparent contradiction. You know what a contradiction is, right? It's to, it's to say something, but then say the exact opposite, right? It's like, wait, how, how do those two things go together? How is it 
that he labors more abundantly, but it's yet it was God in me. This is the Christian life. That as you labor, as you determine to hold fast, God sees that desire and he honors it and it will be God's work in you, but will you want God's work in you? That's the question. So my prayer for you today is that you would hold fast to the pattern that's been set before you, that you would guard the good thing that is in you and you'd live out what God has set before you. Let's pray. God, we come before you and Lord, your word is amazing and it is so nourishing to our souls. Lord, I know for everyone in here, we feel just that, we, we feel that sense that, our, our, that we begin to wander at times. That there's moments that, that we're in fellowship with you and it seems like we never want to leave that, that time of worship or that time in the word. And then there's dry seasons. There's, there's times when we feel like we're not connected with you and we feel like we, we become distracted. Lord, our prayer to you today is that you would help us to hold fast. We know it's not by us, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Holy Spirit. Lord, but we invite you, the Holy Spirit, to strengthen us. Lord, that these students that are in here today, whether junior high or high school, Lord, that as they continue to grow physically, spiritually, emotionally, Lord, that you would captivate their heart. Lord, that as you captivated my heart 10 years ago in this very room, Lord, that you would do so even now as we worship you, that you would be the reason we live, you would be the purpose. And Lord, there's no truer words than what was said by Jesus, that he who tries to find his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Lord, we commit our lives to you. And we know, Lord, that in return, you commit your word to us. Help us to be faithful. Lord, we don't want to drop the ball. Help us not to drop the ball at the end zone. Lord, we don't want to fumble. But we need your Holy Spirit to strengthen us. So we look to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, why don't we stand and close in this song of worship? Call back sinner, wake up saint, let every nation shout of faith. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, will be church
God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Please go see Pastor Joel, one of the leaders, if you need some prayer. And we'll see you on Wednesday.